The book of James has really been uh, a time for us to really focus on what it means to mature in Christ. What does it mean to, to, to grow in him? And, and today we're going to be looking at how this maturity is seen in, in our words, um, what our tongue is capable of. And so our words really matter and they affect us for better or for worse. And they also affect others for better or for worse. They can bring uh, someone back to God. I mean, by the way you encourage somebody, that could be the catalyst to bring them back to the Lord. But they can also uh, wound you very deeply. They can also be said from you and it can really like stay with somebody the rest of their lives in a negative way. I mean, we need to face the fact that our words are weapons. I mean, they're weapons of mass destruction. And we must come to terms with our tongues. We, what we say and how we actually say it really does matter. And one of the marks of an authentic Christian uh, who, is, who is growing in maturity is the control that one person has over their words. And so today we're going to look at James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Let me pray for us and then I'll have you stand for our reading. Lord, there's times in my life that I've heard people say, those are just words, or um, why did you let uh, the words that this person say affect you in a certain way? Or we've all heard those lies, Lord. And the fact of the matter is, is that our words are uh, powerful. For good and for evil. After all, Lord, you spoke creation into existence. And so, as we look this morning at what your word has to say to us about the control of our tongue, the condition of our tongue, and, and our desperate need for you and help with that, Lord, help us to really um, not see today as necessarily... I wish so-and-so was here for this message. May we um, really look at ourselves and allow you to have access to areas we're not even aware about. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you could stand, if you're able to do so, and uh, we're going to be in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. says this, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, where the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the part of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it is of itself a fire by hell. Verse 7. 
All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with, with it we curse men. And they have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be so. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear uh, of itself a grapevine or bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfless ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow peace Raise a harvest of righteousness. You can be seated. Well, so verse one kicks off with a, a warning to to pastors. It's pretty fun. And uh, what's being said here is that those who teach will be judged more strictly. Teachers of God's words have uh, the capacity to do more numeric damage because they, on a given week talk to more people typically than, you know, I don't know that many of you have a gathering of, you know, however many people are in here. Um, You might. That's great. Um, But pastors also have the capacity because they are seen as like spiritual authorities a lot of times. And and I think those authorities we have seen over the years being abused and and that damage is is not just like uh, you hurt somebody's feelings. Like it's it's like you've wrecked their whole walk with Christ. I mean, there's a big... Uh, a possibility of doing that for anybody that's in ministry. Um, when we convey things, people assume it's true, right? I mean, you wouldn't be here if you thought I was full of it, would you? I mean, you assume that what I'm saying is true. And, and, and so there's an easy way that, that pastors can uh, lead a congregation astray and they can either convey truth or they can make things really cloudy. And, and then they can make things actually completely wrong and, and deny truth to many people. And so that's a big deal, obviously. But, but this, this tongue that, that we're talking about taming here, uh, this is for all of us. I mean, this is, you know, it, it's true for all that if you're somebody that is keeping their tongue in check, there is a maturity to you that that not many people have. Um, and frankly, there's people that aren't Christians that have a pretty good control of their tongue. So there's something different about like, there's people that just kind of say stuff unwisely and, and do that. And then there's things that people that are a lot slicker say subtly. And so I think that we, we are aware of the people that say things loudly and, and, and wildly, and you're like, oh, that person's kind of bad news. Maybe we should stay away from them. They're a little nuts. But it's the people that really sidle up next to you that have their arm around you sometimes. 
that whisper the untruths and do it in the name of God. So verse 2 begins to describe somebody that's not necessarily perfect, although it uses the word perfect. Uh, It's somebody that is is a a flawed person. Obviously, this person is not perfect. Everybody has sinned except, except Jesus. And, but it is talking about someone that is, you know, able to control their tongue. There's something different about this person, the way they live. And so in order to get there, we need to understand a lot about the tongue. So he goes into verses three and four, talking about the, the tongue is powerful. And he gives two examples. He gives the example of a, of a, of a horse and an example of a ship. Both are massive and powerful. I mean, I think... I think horses are like the most majestic beast on earth. I mean, they're beautiful. They're powerful. They're strong. I mean, they are, they, they are just awesome. And ships are amazing to look at. Like just the, the, the especially the massive ones. I mean, you know, 5,000 people living on a ship and, you know, uh, just crazy what, what humanity has been able to accomplish, right? But each of these massive things are controlled by something very, very small is what James says. For a horse, it's a bit in their mouth. And for a ship, it's just the rudder that the pilot directs where he wants things to go. They're controlled by it. They're, they're directed by it, even though they are massive things. And the tongue is like that. You know your tongue weighs about as much as a bar of soap? I just ruined soap for you, I think. But, um, but it's so small and it controls... And directs our whole life. It is. It is. It determines the course of your life if you're not careful. And so it, it goes in here in scripture. It says it, it's destructive in verse five. It is a like a bit. We think, oh, that's helpful to the horse, the the rudder. That's helpful uh, to the boat. But then we talk about the small object that controls our life, and it can control it in a negative way. It now controls here. The tongue is like a a forest fire, which starts with what? A spark. I mean, we've seen forest fires just engulf just so much land. It destroys so much property. And it's from a campfire or sometimes a cigarette or any of those type of things. I don't smoke cigarettes. I just know how to flick them, by the way. I I did that really naturally. I just wanted to explain myself. Um... But like we, we are not helped by the smallest part of what controls us apart from Christ. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. Verse 6 goes on to say that it is a world of evil. Do you, I mean, the, the tongue, the physical tongue is actually uh, the muscle in your body. You can check me this. I don't know if this is right, but my guess is, is that it gets the most exercise. Like it's constantly flapping. Like we're constantly doing stuff with this thing. And, and it, it, it has the capacity for evil like no other part of the body. And as this thing is getting to work out, it certainly can corrupt the whole body, can't it? I mean, Jesus said that out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so... What type of language, what type of wording, what, what type of, of, of uh, things are you saying 
with what's going on in your heart, I mean, you can really, really understand that when verse 7 and 8 talk about the tongue being uncontrollable, I mean, it at times is really hard. It's really hard to not say that subtle thing that you shouldn't say, even though it would bring you so much joy and maybe some justice. Like, that's hard. Like, it's not hard for me to, to like, yell out a cuss word really loud at an umpire or somebody on the court. But I can lean over to my family and go, man, that guy sucks. And he might, usually does, just for the record, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's, it's, it's so uncontrollable and it's revealing. Like nine and 10, it, it, you can kind of think about it as like a thermometer of your heart. Like the, the temperature of your life is really dictated by your heart. And, and, but your tongue is like, you know, you put a thermometer where? Under your tongue. Hopefully you're that age. But it's revealing because we praise God with it. We even encourage others with it. And yet we curse people too. I mean, James goes on to say this shouldn't be. I mean, we are consistently inconsistent, aren't we? Then he moves into just the, the illustration of water and fruit, talking about salt water can't flow from fresh water and vice versa. And a fig tree, it doesn't produce oranges or anything like that, does it? The product is always consistent with its source. That is just how life works. So our words show what's underneath. It reveals our heart. You want to know somebody? You want to really know somebody? Like, spend some consistent time with them. Like, maybe overnight. Like, go on a trip together. You might want to leave in the middle of the trip. I mean, because if you spend enough time around some people, you start to really learn who they are. And there are some people that are so unwise that, like, you can have, like, a 30-second conversation and go, oh, I know where you stand. And I don't mean, like, labeling people, but, like, they just... Here's one guy that I've talked to recently. He just started talking. I was just like, man, I think this guy is just a full-on racist. Like, I, he'd been talking for about two minutes. And just the subtle things that he said, I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's bad news. Now, you might know somebody else that has evil in their heart that it just takes longer to find out. I mean, our words will eventually give us away. I don't care how slick you are. Your words will eventually tell the story. And I'm not talking about us in our, in our bad moment or our, our, you know, let's not just like, that's where cancel culture comes from. Like certain people say like one thing and they're like done forever. And they're like, I said it when I was like 11, like golly, you know, um, there are certain things that people should be counseled over as far as like, they should lose a platform for what they say and what they do. But this is, this is more like, um, a consistent, evident heart that just comes through what they say and how they live. Now, isn't like a sermon in the Bible says to be encouraging? Anybody feel like poo-poo right now? I mean, we all do, because like, this is true of all of us. And 
it can be discouraging, but it's actually good news because the the tongue gets out of control because there's it's an overflow of our heart. And so it's impossible for us as the good news, but if the tongue can't be controlled, what are we to do? It is possible with God. And verse 13 goes on to say, who is wise among you? Who is wise among you? Because wisdom is shown. It's, it's, it's let it show in your life. Let it show in, in the way that, that you, you live your life and the words you say. It's not just in your intellect. Like it's not how much you know. It's what you do with what you know. And so you can know very little and do great things with that because you are, that's wisdom. Like the little bit you know and you just let it become otherworldly because you're letting God in, be involved in it. Those are some of the, like some of the wisest people I know are like the most least educated. I mean, you just talk to them and you're like, can you run for president? Like, you, you get some stuff. And some of the most educated people I know are like the most unwise people. I know one guy that's really educated and he's like one of the wisest people I know, so it does work. <laughs> but it's not just, you know, it's not the case for everybody. But when we start to live a godly life, um, we live the way God says to live. We start to show him that, hey, we love you too. Like we only know what love is because God first loved us. But doing what he says is, is us showing him, hey, I love you. Like I'm making a decision to do what you say because there's a relationship here that you have offered and you have given. And I get to respond to it. And so... When we do that, we, we start to see that God changes us. And then we, we start to, uh, we're able to discern between the, the, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And so those things that sound really good in the world, and when we really get down to it, we're like, hmm, that's not godly at all. That's not what God wants. Sometimes they match. But he talks about in verses 15 and so on, uh, he says two kinds of wisdom here, one from heaven, the other earthly. One is spiritual, one is unspiritual. One is from God and one is from the devil. Like last week, he didn't pull any punches either with what we read. But like he's saying that there's wisdom that's of the devil if it's not of God. Because true wisdom comes from outside of ourselves. It, it, it comes from God alone. And we don't gain true wisdom without turning to God. We need him. We need his will. We need to humble our hearts. And when we do, we will see that he will tame our tongue. Because in verse 16, we see that worldly wisdom produces this fruit of envy. That leads to the selfish ambition that we want to gain like that's why we say those subtle little things that's why we we think those thoughts that's why we live in a certain way towards other people and it brings a life of strife like you're constantly having issues 
because you're constantly not doing what God says. Like, why do you have a bruise on your head? Because I keep banging my head against the wall. Well, how do you get rid of it? I don't know. And you keep banging your head against the wall. No, it stopped hitting your head against the wall. And that's an easier illustration than like uh, not being a jerk to your wife. So that's not me either. So the cigarette thing is not me and the jerk of the wife is not me either. So, But then we see that we're almost capable of anything when we get to that point. And so the contrast to that is in verse 17, where it talks about godly wisdom and what that produces. It, it says it's a fruit that is pure. This is, this is, a, this is a, a way of your heart that is just like at, at peace because you're doing what God said to do. And when you do what God says to do, that does not mean that your life is like, I don't know, of an illustration. There's a bad illustration I want to give, you know, butterflies and rainbows. Let me throw that out there, you know. Like it's just... It's not always easy, as we can attest to. However, wisdom in you, because God is in you, will start to change your heart, and you will be able to walk through hard things better and better as you grow. And so the things that devastate you now, um, they'll still devastate you. You just walk through them differently because God is with you, because you know that you're connected to him, because you are doing what he says, and when you do what what he says, you're like, Wow, you do love me. And not just because of what I do. Because when I do what I do, I start to experience you more. And I start to understand that your way is the best way. Because that's what we're called to do. This fruit leads to peace. This fruit, it brings harmony between you and God and you and others. And pretty soon, and for a lifetime, you start to experience this thing and you'll experience more and more that you you just don't want what the world offers anymore. Like it just doesn't appeal to you. I'm not at the stage yet where nothing of the world appeals to me, believe me. There's those subtle things in life. But I know that I can look at certain things and go, I I don't even want that. No, thank you. And and that's because God's changed my heart and that, that, that type of stuff has become second nature. And as I've grown, certain other things have become second nature. And, and as I do that, I start to, I don't take it for granted. I just see, well, this is what God says is best and he's right. And so he's probably right about that, but I'm just not ready for that yet. That's kind of the battle we have. because God is changing you. He is changing your heart that leads to wisdom in your deeds and in your words. And God's peace is brought about. And then finally in verse 18 it says, because those that have peace sowed in them, when we have peace with God, we will naturally sow peace as we live. 
And it brings about what is called in Scripture a harvest of righteousness. Humbling ourselves leads to more of God. You begin to realize how much joy you actually bring God. And you're like, I bring you joy? Shouldn't it be the other way around? He's like, no, I initiate it and just enjoy it. And guess what happens? You have joy. He offers peace and you start to believe in this peace. And all of a sudden you're like, my gosh, I have peace. Like he actually meets us in our everyday lives. And, and, and then you really realize, man, he really, really loves me. That's because God, through the Holy Spirit, who sent his son, is making you more and more like Jesus. Like you begin to actually be transformed into something different. Why? Because if anyone is Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Let's pray.